Glad you're here. To get us started, uh, I want to take us back uh, to August. Let's see, it was August 5th, 2010. There was a collapse in a Chilean mine. You guys remember this? Anybody remember this story? August 5th, yeah, absolutely. August 5th, 2010, okay? These guys uh, were, were down mining. This mine zigzagged down 4,500 feet below the surface of the earth, and it collapsed at 2,300 feet. Imagine this moment, right? 33 miners stuck 2,300 feet below the surface of the earth. Now, anybody like Tower of Terror? Any fans? I am not one. I, I don't like one Tower of Terror, right? You guys know that. This crew up here makes me go on the Tower of Terror, uh, especially my son Silas. It's his birthday today. Happy birthday, buddy. He's 11 and a big dog, right? Big dog. Yes, sir. So, Tower of Terror, okay, is not, it's not a fan. I'm not a fan of the Tower of Terror. I, I can't stand it. Imagine 12 of them, literally 12 of them stacked on top of each other, okay? These guys are stuck 2,300 feet below the surface of the earth. No communication, no radio, no nothing. And they all kind of congregated in this area that was about 500 square feet. They had a safety area set up for these guys, about 500 square feet. So imagine this stage, if the stage went about to the front row, you guys right here in the front row, okay? This stage in that area, you have 33 men who have been mining all day. Can you imagine what they smelled like, right? 33 men trapped in this tiny area, 2,300 feet down below the surface of the earth. Now, they had this safety, safety area set up just in case something like this ever happened. They had a supply of food for these guys. You guys want to know what they had? This is fascinating to me. Um, they had one can of salmon. Have you ever eaten canned salmon? Anybody? No? I didn't think so. Me neither. They had a, a can of salmon, just one, 18 cans of tuna, 24 liters of condensed milk, some of which had already expired, and 10 bottles of water. Stuck, 2,300 feet down. So there's one guy in this group of, of men, one guy who kind of declared himself, hey, I'm in charge. I'm the leader. I'm going I'm to kind of, I'm going to set myself as the leader of the group. And he decided that we got to ration our food, guys. We don't know, we don't even know if the people up there know that we are trapped. We have no way of talking to them. So they decide to ration the food. So here's what they did. They lined out 33 plastic cups, 33 cups, Okay. All the way across. And every day, they would take one spoonful of tuna or salmon and put it in the cup. And they would pour some water in it and mix it up and turn it into a broth. Does that sound good to you guys? That's all they ate. And they were thinking that this could last for maybe seven days. They were hoping that this would keep them alive for about one week. These guys are stuck. They're trapped. 17 days later, okay, 17 days later, they finally drill a hole to these guys. The whole world is watching and thinking, what are we going to do? We can't just leave these guys down here. We don't know what's going to happen. They're going to run out of food. They're going to run out of water. They're going to suffocate. We're not sure exactly what's going to happen. We have to help them somehow. So they're flying in experts from all over the world. And they finally, after 17 days, they drill a hole the size of a grapefruit, okay? Everybody make a fist like this. Let me see you guys. Make a fist, okay? They drill a hole this big, 2,300 feet down, and they can begin to send food 
and water and communication down to these guys after 17 days. Now, I don't know what kind of food they're sending down in a hole this size, but it probably wasn't good. Agreed? Right? 69 days later, okay? Think about this. That's from right now until the middle of August. What are you guys doing for Father's Day? Do you have plans? July 4th? The end of July? Maybe some of you are going to go on vacation. School's going to start up. Imagine that entire time, every single day, 69 days. These guys are trapped. And finally, after 69 days, they begin a rescue mission. It took 22 hours to drill this hole. We have some pictures of the capsule that they sent down. Every single one of these guys, one at a time, come up through this, through this hole that they drilled. It took 15 minutes, 15 minutes to get from the bottom, 2,300 feet down, okay, all the way to the top. They're standing there like this in this little capsule. You see that picture? He's just standing there. 15 minutes. It's like an elevator ride that takes 15 minutes to get you to the top. Probably the best ride those guys have ever been on. Can you imagine this moment? And they're freed. Now, what's interesting is when they first were able to communicate with these guys, when they drilled that grapefruit-sized hole down there, here's what the guys said. They sent a message back up. I don't know if they had a pulley system. I don't know what they did. But here's what they said. They said, we're fine in the shelter, the 33 of us. We're fine. When these guys got out, when they rescued them, you know what was fascinating to me? What was so interesting was every single one of these guys came to the same conclusion. Here's what they didn't say. They didn't say, hey, send us down a pick. Send us down an extra pick. Send us down an axe. Send us down some ropes. Send us down some of those fancy climbing shoes. Send us down some chalk. We're going to chalk our hands up. We're going to see if we can climb our way out of here, right? None of them said that. Not a single one of them said, hey, you guys up there, just, just stay up there. Stay there. We don't want you to come down. We want to see if we can come up with a strategy to figure out how to get out of here. We want to see if we can come up with a plan. No, no, no. Every single one of these guys, 33 men, they all came to the exact same conclusion. Here's what they said. We need help. We need help. We need somebody from up there to figure out a way to get down here to help us get up there. Because we can't figure it out. We can't come up with a strategy. We can't come up with a plan. There's not a tool that's going to help us get out of this mess that we're in. They all came to the exact same conclusion. Here's what they said. They said, we need help. Let me ask you guys a question this morning. Have you ever been to that place? Have you ever found yourself in that place where you said, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not good looking enough, I can't come up with a strategy to figure out how to get me out of this mess that I'm in? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to that place in your life where you have said, there's nothing, nothing that I can do to get myself out of this? I need somebody from up there to come down here and help me figure out how to get back up there. If you've come to that place in your life, and I hope every single one of you has, because it's the birthplace of grace. That moment, that moment when we realize 
I can't do it. I can't figure it out. I can't, I can't come up with a plan. I can't come up with a strategy to get myself out of this mess. When we come to that place, that is the very birthplace of grace. Now, maybe you've been coming to church for a long time. Maybe you grew up in church and, and you've heard this word grace. Grace is a huge deal for us. In fact, I think grace is one of the most misunderstood uh, words in the Bible, one of the most misunderstood gifts that we have been given from Jesus. And oftentimes when we think about grace, here's what we think of. Maybe you, you sing songs about grace. Maybe you know somebody whose name is grace, right? Maybe, maybe you've heard of a grace period. You don't have to raise your hands on this, right? But maybe some of you had a grace period maybe from your bank or from the power company, from your credit card. Maybe you describe somebody as gracious, But I wonder if grace and the power of grace has transformed your life. I wonder if grace showing up at at just the right time when you were stuck, when you needed help, I wonder if that has actually transformed your life. We're going to look at a story this morning about a guy who was in a tough spot. And in fact, I think it actually describes the spot that all of us are in, every single one of us in the room. It's in John chapter 5, and I want to give you a little bit of background before we jump in. See, Jesus had just performed, Jesus and his crew had just performed some incredible, incredible miracles, and they were leaving town, and they were heading towards Jerusalem. This journey took about five days, so they're exhausted. Everywhere they went, they're, they're walking, right? So they had traveled for five days, and as they come up to Jerusalem, They pass this area. This is where we're going to pick up the story. It's in John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So picture this area, right? Picture this huge area, and it's surrounding this pool. And John gives us the detail in this story. One of the things I love about these stories is John gives us detail because he was there. He had seen it. This isn't just some made-up story, right? This isn't some fairy tale story. John is giving us these details because he wants us to realize, guys, this really happened. And so Jesus and his crew are walking up to this area, and they come up to this area where it's covered by these five big, massive covered areas. In the middle of it is this pool. What you got to understand about this time was that doctors were scarce. Very few doctors back in those days, and so these people had two things to rely on. If you were sick, if you were lame, if you were paralyzed, if you were blind, if anything was going on in your life, you only had two options. First option was to go to the temple. If you can get somebody to help you to the temple, And you hope that somehow the priest would have mercy on you, somehow be able to help you. The other option was superstition, and that's actually what this story hinges on today. These people believed in superstition, and what they believed, the legend said that if you hung out in this one area, in this pool, every once in a while an angel would show up, and the angel would stir up the pool, and the water would bubble up. And if you could be the first one into the pool, they believed you would be healed. So you can picture this scene. People everywhere, okay? Probably smelled awful. This is the kind of area where 
a, a government official occasionally would come through and look for dead bodies. The outcast, the low, the worst of the worst are hanging out by this pool hoping that they can get help, hoping that they can be the first, first one into the pool. Jesus and his guys come rolling by. Here's what happens next. In verse 5, it says, One who had been there, an invalid for 38 years, Jesus sees him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. So you can imagine this moment, right? Jesus is coming by and he sees this one guy, and we don't know why he chose this one guy out of a lot of people around. But he walks up to this one guy and he begins to learn about him. He asks about him. And so you can imagine, Jesus kind of maybe kneels down. This man's laying on the ground by this pool, surrounded by sick people, surrounded by people that are paralyzed, that are blind. Nobody comes to this area if they're healthy. Jesus walks up to this man, and he asks about him, and he learns about him. And he asks him a question that I'm going to read you guys this question, and then I'm going to ask you the question because I think it's a, it's a super powerful question. I think every one of us needs to answer it. It's actually not the point of my message today, but I wanna, I'm going to read you the question, and I'm going to ask it. So Jesus leans up to this man, and maybe he whispers. He, he looks at this man, and he says, do you want to get well? Imagine that moment. This man's been laying there, it says, for 38 years, and Jesus walks up to him, this guy that he doesn't know, and he looks him in the eyes, and he says, do you want to get well? Let me ask you guys this morning, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? You know, sometimes it's easier to stay sick than it is to actually get well, isn't it? Sometimes it's harder to make the decisions that we know will make us well. Sometimes we get things when we're sick that we don't get when we're well. There's something that's been nagging at you. Maybe it's your physical health. Maybe it's bad decisions that you've been making. You know what they are. It's been nagging at you. It's been bothering you. And you have the power to make yourself well. The question is, do you want to get well? I hope that you guys will look yourself in the mirror tonight. You don't have to tell anybody your answer. You don't have to share this in small group, right? But I hope that at least in your own heart, you can tonight, today, when you get home, look yourself in the mirror, look in your eyes, and ask yourself this question. Do I really want to get well? It's a powerful question. One that I just wanted to sit out there with you guys and have you think about. We're going to continue in the story. Jesus isn't just going to heal this guy, right? He's not going to heal him if he doesn't want to get healed. And while we may look at it as a silly question, Jesus isn't just going to impose his will on this man. In fact, this man doesn't even know who Jesus is. So I'm sure he's thinking it's a silly question. Jesus looks down and leans over to him and asks him, do you want to get well? This is what the man says. Verse 7, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Picture this moment. I picture when I read this story, I can kind of imagine what's going on there because this is exactly the way John describes this text. You've got an area that's full of sick people, right? And they've been laying there for who knows how long, hanging out. They've been dropped off by their family. Their family doesn't know what to do with them. They leave them there. They drop them off. Nobody's coming by. Nobody's, nobody's walking by, saying hello, checking on people. 
everybody's sick. And you can imagine what it must have been like for somebody that's blind or somebody that's paralyzed to try to crawl or find their way into a pool. This scene is chaotic, right? It's unnerving. This man says, I don't have anybody that's going to help me. I want to be healed, but I don't like my chances. Jesus still kneeling down, perhaps he's still whispering to him, right? He's kneeling down to him, and he says, hey, get up. Think about that. Get up. Some translations, it says, rise up. Some translations, it says, wake up. Come to life. Come to life. Jesus leans over, right? The Son of God leans over and interacts with this man, and he heals him. Get up. Take up your mat. Walk. Incredible moment. At once, it says, verse 9, immediately, soon as Jesus said it, this man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. 38 years. That's how long I've been alive. I'm 38 years old. 13,870 days. 13,870 days this man had been laying by a pool, hoping, hoping. Superstition told him an angel would come and stir up the pool. Now, they've since gone and, and excavated this area, and what they found in this area was that there was a reservoir that flowed into this pool, and underneath that reservoir was a natural spring. And so every once in a while, the water would bubble up, and this man laid there for 38 years, hoping, hoping that he would get well, hoping that he could be healed. I can imagine maybe they would try to convince their family early on, right? Hey, if you'll come and, and hold me over the pool, just, just hold me over the pool and drop me in. And hopefully, while I'm falling, that water will bubble up, that water will stir, stir up, and I can be the first one in. You can imagine people rolling in. Did that work? Nope, didn't work. I'm going to roll my way back out. This is a chaotic scene. This is an awful scene. First point I want you guys to understand today is that Jesus showed up in this man's life, and he healed him. Grace has a name. Verse 15 says this. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Jesus made him well. Grace has a name. You guys say that with me. Grace has a name. Grace has a name. Jesus shows up in this man's life when he least expects it. And he heals this man. What I love so much in the story is this man thought he needed a pool. What he needed was a person. Right? You guys see this in the story? This man thought he needed a pool, but what he needed was a person. And Jesus didn't look at this man and say, hey, I've got some insider information for you. I'm going to help you out, bro. I know a couple of angels. Here's when they're going to show up. Jesus doesn't mention the water. He doesn't talk about the water. He doesn't use the water. See, what this pool represented was a system. This man didn't need a system. He needed a savior. The pool represented a system. And you guys can relate to that. I know you can. 
Some of you have been working on systems for 13,870 days. You're sick. You're not paralyzed. You're not blind. Maybe it's just regret or shame. Some past mess up, screw up, failure. And you've been carrying it for 13,000, maybe even longer, days. And it's not working, is it? You've been trying to get into a pool. What you need is a person. What I want to, to help you guys understand today is that grace has a name. You don't need a pool. You don't need a pool. You need a person. And his name is Jesus. Second point I want you to remember today is this. We get what he paid for. We get what he paid for. You and I live in a striving culture, right? Some of you still have trophies in your house from 30 years ago, don't you, right? We live in a striving culture. Our culture tells us you get what you pay for. The time you put in is what you're going to get out, right? You get what you pay for. That's just what we believe as a culture. That's what we're taught, isn't it? How many, how many pieces of furniture are you going to buy from Ikea until you realize this, right? You get what you pay for. How many toys from Five Below are you going to buy before you realize it's junk. It doesn't matter if it costs under $5. Am I right, kids? It's junk, right? Culture says you get what you pay for. And that's what we believe. And so we try to put that on God, don't we? We try to put that on God and say, no, it can't be that easy. What I want you guys to understand this morning is we get what he paid for. We get what he paid for. See, Jesus comes and he flip-flops it. Everything in our culture tells us we get what we pay for. And so you hear somebody say, man, you have grace. You've been forgiven. You're loved. You're free. You can find freedom and healing in a person. His name is Jesus. And we sit back there and we say, no, can't be that easy, right? Everything in my life has said, I gotta work for it. I gotta strive for it. I gotta earn it. Give me a pick. Give me an axe. Send the ropes down. I'll put my shoes on. And I'm gonna do my best to climb my way out of here, right? Because God's up there. And this shame that I'm carrying and these regrets that I have and this disappointment in myself, grace can't be that easy. So I'm going to do something to earn it. I'm going to try to earn my way and work my way to God. What do we do? We say, well, i got to come to church, okay? I'll come to church. i got to read my Bible. Okay, I think I can do that. i got to read my Bible and pray then maybe Georgia Bulldogs beat the Florida Gators, right? And you don't read your Bible that day, and you don't pray, and you don't even show up to church, right? This is our view of God. This is it right here. And we picture God, and he's, he's sitting up here, and he's 
kind of looking down at us, right? Oh, that's cute. I wonder how far they'll get this year. Ah, I'll give them the third step. They got to the second step last year. We imagine God up here judging us, looking down on us. My friends, this is a system. This isn't grace. This is not the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is him looking down at us and with incredible compassion and love and kindness, him realizing they're stuck. They're stuck. They're trapped. So in my kindness and in my love, I'm going to send my son Jesus, and he's going to crawl his way 2,300 feet down. He's going to live a perfect life. He's going to die an excruciating death on their behalf. So that I can be reconnected with them. So that they can have a relationship with me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. This is the story of grace. This is the message of the gospel. Grace has a name. His name is Jesus. And we get what he paid for. I don't have time to share with you guys my story today. But I want to tell you this. There was a time in my life not too long ago where I sat in a room and I thought, man, I'm stuck. How did I get here? Dreams were shattered. Hopes were dashed. Everything that I strove so hard for, God's going to be impressed. When I get to heaven, God, look at this trophy case that I put together. Guys, know when you go to heaven, you're not going to have to show God your trophies. I don't have time to share with you my story. You're going to have to take my word for it. If God can put me on this stage to teach you about grace, what grace is all about. If God can walk up to a man who'd been laying by a pool for 38 years, who believed in superstition, and heal him, tell him, get up, come to life. If he can take me from the rung of the ladder that I was on and show me grace, grace is for you too. Grace has a name. His name is Jesus. And we get, you and I, get what Jesus paid for. 